Right, so happy, uh, happy this month, everybody. It is this month, indeed. It's not last month. Nope, it is a different month that yeah. we entered into. And it's one of those days in that month. It's trying to be more, you know, general. Forevergreen. You know, you might listen later. Right. And we'll wish you a happy this month. Indeed. <laughs> well, I have a slight hmm. inclination that um, th- this show could be chock full of nuts and bolts. Chock, why do people say that? Chock Added full the list. of, um, you know, information in, in a yeah. form. So we'll get right into this one. Uh, without you don't you don't need to hear about you know my car <laughs> or raised knees. What I was singing minutes yeah. ago, any of that. Nothing. We'll just not waste and go right in. But Ray, what is our topic? We're talking uh, about sort of movies this this a week. Movie related phrases, although entertainment phrases. Because I think mine, my one of mine is a more of a television reference than a movie reference, but still, broad yeah. umbrella movies. And and m- later on, my my second one is uh, is v- is vivid with uh, <laughs> oh with, yes with right. the lively goodness. So this is our we first should. show marked explicit. Yeah, correct. And it's it's I guess mostly going to be because of my second word. Correct. You're yeah. It will be. Uh, I'm, you know, it's not like it's scripted. I have no idea what I'm going to say, but I know to convey this story, I've got to say some stuff. Yes. Uh, so, so Ray, I guess feel free to swear since the damn episode Ooh, is already marked. We're explicit. already marked explicit. <laughs> well, hell yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, if you're easily offended by the cursing or anything like that, that this this week might not be. Your favorite? Yeah. Oh, we won't overdo it, but it's you know the no, last it's the, topic. the last words gotta be the what topic it is. has 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 some uh, yes no good good call on the the disclaimer up front too by the way up up front but yeah, not saying look, yeah. bail out you know no. <laughs> so what's your first word? I'm gonna hop right in here. Uh, my first phrase phrase yeah. no no it's okay is uh, jump the shark. Oh, jump the shark! Jump the shark. Are you familiar with this phrase? Yeah, now I, I won't say. But sure. when, when this came up, I knew what it was, but I think we all realize that a lot of people say it, but they don't know why, even though it's... Right. They don't know why. A part of our life. <laughs> yeah. Why do we say it? Um, defining it as... This is not my definition, as I always say. Uh, to begin a period of inexorable decline in quality or popularity, especially as marked by a particular event. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Saying this is this is the point where things started to get bad. Yeah, the, the office parties jumped the shark when they brought in the dunk the boss box. Exactly. Something like that. You yeah. knew at some point there was a turning point, and that point turned... For the worse. <laughs> yeah, they jumped. They jumped the, the shark. The proverbial shark. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is an American idiom in a relatively young one, really. I mean, honestly. That's what I was starting to say. Then I backed out of it because I didn't want to say it because it's your information. No, sure. Um, it comes from the set of the hit 1975 movie Jaws. And Rich Dre- Richard Dreyfus has said in many, many interviews, a lot of the cast, actually, that the, I think that the shark's name was Bruce. Uh, the shark was so unreliable and like got waterlogged and wouldn't work. So they had to keep like a car battery nearby with jumper cables because they literally had to jump the shark like back to life because it was so like sloggy and unresponsive. This is, of course, a lie. It is. I was trying to ruse you. But I know you know the real reason, so it wasn't much of a try. <laughs> that is true, though. The shark apparently was difficult. Challenging. The robotic shark. The robotic shark, yeah. I mean, it was 1975 or whatever. Yeah, and again, it's a great movie in hindsight. So on set, I'm sure it was very frustrating, but you know, you made a great piece of work there, guys. We're going to need a bigger boat. That's Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, but for real... If you were a person of uh, like sitcom watching age 
in the 1970s and 1980s here in America. Um, it's very likely that you watched a show called Happy Days. Mm. Uh, it was one of the highest rated sitcoms of the time. Again, I know, and I know my sister loves it and has always loved it as well. I bought her, I think a Ralph like action figure, maybe Richie too. Sit on it, Richie. Richie. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're unfamiliar, I'm going to dive in a little bit to give you a background on Happy Days. Yeah. Uh, the show was set in 1950s middle America, Milwaukee, uh, Minnesota. Nope. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> what? And at the time, it was a, a pretty nostalgic look back at a simpler, more naive America, um, while the current day America of the 70s was more rife with social and economic unrest and anti-imperialist sentiments and stuff after the Vietnam War. So the show Happy Days, created by Gary Marshall, uh, centered around this Milwaukee family, the Cunninghams. And uh, the show starred lots of people, lots of people that grow on to other things in life, but I'm really not going to focus on much of them at all, besides uh, just mention the main Richie Cunningham, Ron Howard, of Arrested Development fame, and later the uh, Andy Griffith show fame, right? Pre, I guess that. Well, he was the kid in Andy Griffith's show. Right. But he went on to direct a lot of films. Tons of films. Yeah. Great director, good storyteller. Yeah. That, uh, that Ron Howard. Um, as, uh, like I said, Richie Cunningham. And then Henry Winkler as a character named Arthur Fonzarelli. A Pittsburgher. Henry Winkler's from Pittsburgh? Yeah. No way. I'm pretty darn certain. Nice. Arthur Fonzarelli, otherwise known as uh, the Fonz on the show. F-O-N-Z, if anyone doesn't know. Uh, so the Fonz is this sort of... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this sort of, again... It's a sitcom. They're not really pushing too hard. And it's 50s America, so like he's a bad boy, but he's more of like a tough guy, greaser, biker, mechanic, cool dude, I guess. His character grows. He doesn't start out as the, the awesome, cool dude at first, but yeah. And uh, Fonz like starts out sort of like a big brother mentor to Richie, I guess. That's what the description of the show has him. But uh, as the seasons progress and the show becomes more and more of a hit like his character arthur or well <laughs> arthur fonzarelli henry winkler's character becomes pretty much this icon for pop culture just like lunch boxes and stickers t-shirts yeah what else action figures combs probably maybe even jukeboxes i don't know <laughs> um Pin, but he's pinball like a machines did you say pinball machines oh did he yeah nice i did not yeah he becomes this like superhero level character so we're flashing forward this shows it's been in its you know it's been going for a while five seasons we're, we're popping in the beginning of the fifth season is an opening three episode arc the, and and this is in the the time when a season was like 23 episodes yeah this sure wasn't the eight episodes yeah seasons. yeah no, right <laughs> what they give us today <laughs> And you're lucky to have them. Yeah. And we don't know when the next one's coming. And there's going to be a big, big break in the middle of the year. Where yeah. Where it'll just be weeks and you'll forget about the but show. But not like that. And it was the <laughs> fall started and you better have 23 episodes. Right. <laughs> all written, all everything. Yeah. So yes, real seasons of 23, 25 episode whatever is perhaps even longer. Um, but we are at the, the opening three episode arc of the fifth season where... Again, we're into the show. We're maybe, you know, we're, we're, we're branching out. We want to grow characters. We want to get some new ideas. So this, this three-episode arc involves the family, I believe, the Cunninghams, and maybe the cast. I did not watch the whole episodes. Uh, they go to Hollywood, California, to do something. I think it was just the allure of being in Hollywood for a season opener that, that people were like, oh, this is going to be great. People will love it. <laughs> so during this episode, these episodes, um, the Fonz is dared by a local beach, referred to beach bum by the things I read, named the California Kid. He's dared by the California Kid to uh, ski jump over this tiger shark that is kind of in the ocean area, sort of cordoned off somewhere. And, you know, he's the Fonz. So he's, he's a cool guy. He's a daredevil. He knows how to, he, he's jumped over things before on the show. You know, not on his here. motorcycle. On his motorcycle, yeah, yeah. He's jumped over some things. Um, he's not skiing. No, he's he's not. He's on his motorcycle, going over a jump. Like right, Evil exactly. Knievel. But he's jumped over things. Yeah. He's been a daredevil. You, this isn't weird for the character per se. No, you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, and bonus, 
is Henry Winkler, the man, can actually water ski. <laughs> and it seems that the whole reason that this may exist was because he was coerced by his dad to tell the producers of the show uh, that he could water ski. And uh, apparently they wrote this scene in because he could water ski. There's an Oprah interview uh, where, uh, you know, a much more old, older Henry Winkler is looking back on it. Uh, and he says that he did all the skiing, but that they wouldn't let him do the jump. But he also didn't know how to jump. He could just do the just do regular water skiing. <laughs> um, but anyway, he does the jump over the shark in the show. Okay, we keep on moving through history. Show keeps on trucking through history. We got more seasons of the show. That wasn't even the weirdest thing that happened that season, because that's the season that Mork shows up, Flintstone style, oh, yeah. uh, the alien, and then he gets his spinoff, little gremlin, to Mork and Mindy. I hate that little guy. Gizmo, Gasmo, something. Yes. Uh, I can only think of the one where the Simpsons do it. They'd make fun of it as well. Same thing. We'll, uh, we'll get to that later. Yeah. I think it's Giz, the G-I-Z. Remind, I, yeah, I know these. Right? I know this. It's in my head, but I can't get it right now. Huh. Anyway, we're fast forwarding. Fast forwarding. The show's existed. The show's over. The idiom starts coming to life in the 1980s. Yeah. It's 1987 at the University of Michigan. Uh, student Sean Connolly coined the phrase jumping the shark to describe a particularly outlandish turn of events. So from this gentleman, the Fonzie's kind of exploits on the ramp took on a new meaning. His circle of friends uh, used the expression for years, apparently. Uh, and in 1997, very recently, Connolly's college roommate, John Hine, uh, starts a website called jumptheshark.com, which chronicles like the moments when like people's tv shows that they love take turns of events that that start to ruin the quality or make different choices and really really change the show in a sense he makes this website to catalog like a lot of tv shows not just this the happy days right because you'd run out fast on just the one right (laughs) (laughs) you could vote on things and do and do others (laughs) well it's just the one so we're we're done i guess Close up that website, dust it off. <laughs> yeah. 1998 Los Angeles Times. Uh, just a quote about it. If you think the show's already passed its peak, be sure to vote for it at jumptheshark.com, a site that pinpoints the moment of each TV show's decline. The name comes from the Happy Days show where the Fonzie jumped a shark. <laughs> so 1998, they're starting to promote this sh- website in the Los Angeles Times and say, if you want to go vote and see when your favorite show took a crap, come on over. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I said, it, it wasn't even the most outlandish thing that happened that season, but uh, people look to it. But it was a turning point. It was a turning point, right. And that's exactly. the point of And it. that's, again, it, during the show run, no one specifically thought while it was live and active and going on, this is the moment where things got weird. It's just, you know, you're looking at it, you can see like, okay, things started to change there. Yeah. Um, lots of shows have done that, as you'll see. Like we just mentioned about the Flintstones, did the same thing. Like they brought an alien character, not the same thing. They the predated Great Gazoo. The, ah! Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yes. It's like that. They brought in this weird alien character that only Fred can see. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> and even people I read mark like the the shifting of Fred's character as as you see in the Simpsons as well from this like kind of gruff, I don't know what you'd call it, not macho, but just like a gruffer, more angry kind of character to a more friendly family, fun dope E character in Flintstones anyway. Yeah. But some people will mark that as like when he, when those turning points happen is this is when the, the Flintstones jumped the shark or, um, what I looked up is I dream of genie, uh, when, they they got married when Jeannie and I mean what the heck was his name on the show Major something Major, Major something Burns no. no they got married several several seasons in uh, and even the two key people who played these characters who again I didn't write down so I don't remember their names said this is a bad idea like you're you're going to shift the show and it's not going to be the same show and and it seemingly wasn't 
things got, you know, the, the tensions that were here in this sense were different in that sense. Costuming changes, interactions changes. I mean, not that characters can't grow and change, but you're, they change the course of this show specifically. Well, it, it's usually uh, further down the line. It, they either lose their best writers because the writers get bored uh, and move on, or or they feel like there's nowhere else for them to go, so they get outlandish. So they feel like they've used up every idea. Sure. Yeah, know? I mean that's that's kind of yeah 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 I hear you. Um, uh, and then those are the moments where people would look back and say like, oh yeah, I dream a genie really jumped the shark there. People said the last episode of Seinfeld is like that because it's just uh, it's a weird episode, you know. It's a weird episode. It's not. Uh, it, uh, not that. Uh, who knows what what the right way to whatever. But I mean, you, people will comment on that. Like, yeah, that that episode was when they jumped the shark, which is the very last episode. <laughs> yeah, he just wanted to bring everyone back, right? And um, and they were tired. <laughs> you know, I think. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, in the season 13 of The Simpsons, there's a montage at, a, at one of the clip shows called Gump Roast, um, where there's a song where they're doing one of the credits. It's, it's like a parody of We Didn't, we didn't Start the Fire, um, but the chorus is They'll Never Stop the Simpsons. And like while they're singing this song and talking about all these crazy outlandish uh, scenarios like Marge, Marge becomes a robot, um, there's a picture of just Homer jumping over a shark, like a, just an animated cell in the credits as the credit rolls by. <laughs> Um, and actually, uh, Henry Winkler on Arrested Development plays a character, Barry Zuckercorn. And in one of the scenes, um, early on in the season, he he exits a scene. And when he exits the scene, they're at a marina, and he actually he like hops over a like a dead shark that's like on the dock somewhere as he leaves the scene. <laughs> nice you know, little, a little uh, nice wink. little wink from the Winkler. Oh, from Pittsburgh, he said. I'm I'm trying to look right now to verify. Okay, that. nice. I'm pretty damn certain though. Yeah. Uh, Nope, it says, uh, it says uh, West Side of New York. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know why he's associated with here. Did like, he go to CMU maybe or something? Maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to read his Wikipedia. So I, I was wrong about that. There was a deli in Squirrel Hill that I used to go to. They had his picture on the wall. And, yeah. and I know he used to go in there a lot, they said. So it must have been maybe that. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, but yeah, Jump the Shark. Jump the shark. A literal origin to uh, an idiom. Well, you filled in a lot of. St I knew what it what it was, but it's always interesting to hear all those other you know, right c colors and side stories. Yeah, I and I, I only saw it once. In my mind, he's not skiing; he's on his motorcycle. But I don't remember what he jumps on. He You're jumps around. I, you can find that clip of that. I couldn't. I didn't look tremendously hard to find the entire episodes, but it's it's not as simple as you'd think for all the, you know, hoo ha. Right. Like you get that little bit, and that's it. At least what I found on on the the place where we get most of our online videos. Because <laughs> they're not yeah. paying us. No. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. I I would imagine my sister has some sort of box set, so I could ask her. I guess I did not do that. Yeah, it might be on Hulu or something. Possibly. Also not paying us. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, my phrase is, a, my first phrase is simple here. Yes. Yes. Quite right. yes, indeed. Right. Uh, read between the lines. Okay. Yeah, read between the lines. Read between the lines. Yeah. And when I use it, it is pretty much metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that what I mean to say? You know, it's like I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, no I don't mean there's you. anything written between those lines. Right. I just mean, hey, think, read what you hear, what and I? then think about that a little more. Right. And fill in the blanks. Contextualize. Yeah. Wink. So I was a little flummoxed uh, by some of what I found, and, and still simple. But let's say first in print. Oh, 1862, oh. Earl Russell's dispatch does not recite the terms of the note to which it is a reply. The letter assumes a somewhat enigmatical character. 
And the only resource we have is, as best we may, to read between the lines of this puzzling but important communication of the British Foreign Secretary. This was in the New York Times, yeah. 1862. Okay. I would say they use it in the way that I just described. It's like you read it, but it's not telling you everything outright. But right. The, but the meaning is in there. Just stop and read it again and think about it. Are they using it to refer to like a telegram or something? Like actually something that would, or what, what are they referencing in it to? Do you know? A letter. Oh, okay, a letter. Gotcha. So here's some odd stuff about this that I didn't really think would come up, but here it is. It's almost as if as it moves along, it's more than one thing. Mm-hmm. We're talking um, in ancient Greece, there was a method used where people might literally write something in between lines mm-hmm. of a communication uh, with invisible ink. Mm. And early on, I, I guess, uh, lemon juice, you, you can make this appear, but if you heat the paper over a flame, you can see it. So... Nice. Uh, techniques like that that are quite literal. Yeah. I'm going to send a letter that is innocuous. Hi, really enjoyed today. Sunny and bright, blah, blah, blah. But in between the lines would be written, hey, uh, breaking out of prison tonight at seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, you know. Right. Nice. So lemon juice or, you know, I guess it went on to more complicated things. Invisible inks from the magazines, the backs of magazine ads. So there's also... A little bit newer than that, say, you know, uh, 16th century, uh, this idea that, uh, and, and it comes from, from truth, codes and coded words, mm-hmm. etc., were developed and used. Yeah. And you might write out one of these communications with some of these odd words worked in or odd phrases and lines. And to the average person... Uh, you might you could just hand this letter to a Anybody. to a courier yeah. and say take it down the street to this other person, and they can read it all they want and not understand it. In fact, think it to be gibberish um, and have no conception of the idea of of coded words or coded meanings, and they just think it's gibberish mm-hmm. until they come to realize that they've. They've been duped, and then they have to ascertain that, well, we saw the message, and there was nothing in there. It was a foolish bunch of gibberish, Mm -hmm. so there must have been some secrets written between the lines when, in fact, the secrets were right in front of them. They just didn't have the capacity to understand that they could be there Mm -hmm. in in the form of... uh, made-up words or, or, or the like. So in this mentality, they're still thinking of the, the lemon juice paper. They're thinking it's there. Yeah, right, and they just can't And maybe see even it. looking for it and can't find it. Gotcha. But can't get behind the idea that... Uh, that there's encoding happening. It's hidden in plain sight right, right there in yeah. front of them. Uh-huh. Gotcha. And I, I couldn't find any great examples of this, and I, I wonder if any of our readers are versed uh, to do this, but this was a puzzle, kind of an idea that was intriguing sounding, was that there was a way to send a message. It couldn't be done today in some forms because, uh, you know, if I send you an email, it might be 25 lines, but if you open it up in something, mm-hmm. you know, the the font changes, the, where the lines change shifts, it, it might be 40 lines or it might be 12 lines, you know? Yes. But when you write something, it is defined. And there's a way of writing some messages that you write every line and it reads perfectly fine. But if you read second, fourth, sixth, Mm -hmm. if you read every other line, it also is a message in unto itself that says something entirely different, often the opposite of what the full message reads i will oftentimes skim articles like first letters of paragraphs just in case there's like a hidden message in the first letters or something <laughs> well it's, it's important 
Yeah, I, I do that. I'll look for like, I wonder if there's a code in here. Because I have that kind of time. Sure. <laughs> so, the, I mean, the, the real answer is that I didn't even think about it really, but that it was quite literal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you literally wrote between lines. Yeah. Uh, and then that evolved to the figurative. Right, the idea of them, then now we know to look for this idea of there's a coded message between these lines. Right, and we, all the way mm-hmm. up to, but all the way up to now, I'm telling you one thing, mm-hmm. but you know I'm saying something else. Right. There, it's not, there's, there's no invisible ink, there's no coded words in as much as that. It's, it's sort of for you to intelligently deduce my real meaning and I have to phrase that cleverly for, or sometimes it comes off probably sarcastically, <laughs> that there's another message in what I'm telling you that is different from what the words convey starkly, you know? Yeah, like it's late at night and you've, you're wrapping up a, a gathering at the house and you're, you're like, I'm going to yawn and stretch. Mm, yeah, it's getting kind of late. But well, no I can one's say, looking up. Sure, everybody, stay all night. Right. That's a, I mean, sure, everybody stay all night is a more direct, sarcastic, but there, you know, in political circles or or, or messaging, there's more theatrical or or, or literary stories that unfold by saying one thing and and really meaning something else. So, um, but again, no, no actual coding with lemon juice. I, I just never knew it came from like a cryptography Literal, kind yeah, of world like, oh, for we, real. This is an actual thing. Yeah. Lemon juice and but, some warmth. But might everyone light. read between the lines of these ads? I mean, I'll let you have it. <laughs> Wasn't that good? Yeah. No. <laughs> what was the first word? I don't know. what I do? Jump, jump the shark. The shark. Yeah. Ooh, we can jump the shark into these ads. Yeah, I'll let you have it. <laughs> Allswell believes in the power of a good night's sleep for all. Their products feature innovative technology and unbelievable comfort and support without deflating your wallet. Combining the best of both worlds, the Allswell features hybrid mattress technology with memory foam and individually wrapped coils. For a winning blend of comfort and support, follow the link in the show notes for financing as low as 0%, a 100-night risk-free trial, free shipping and returns, and a 10-year limited warranty. Designed to make good sleep accessible to all. Real luxury, unreal prices. Allswellhome.com. Whole Nine Yards is sponsored by the Roberto Clemente Museum. Located in a restored engine house in Pittsburgh's revitalized Lawrenceville neighborhood, the Clemente Museum is a showcase of the largest exhibited collection of baseball artifacts, works of art, literature, photographs, and memorabilia related to Roberto Clemente and his life in baseball. Shop the store for clothing and other items featuring the iconic 21 logo and purchase tour tickets for the museum at clementemuseum.com. Enter promo code W9Y21 for a 10% discount on hats and tees. That's clementemuseum.com, promo code W9Y21. Whole Nine Yards is sponsored by Big Science Music. Big Science Music is a can and one show award-winning original music and sound boutique, providing scoring, sound design, radio, podcast, and audio post-production services for the advertising, film, and video industries. Big Science Music also offers ADR, casting, and project management. Big Science Music's reels, full capabilities, and more can be found at bigsciencemusic.com. That's bigsciencemusic.com. And we've returned from those mm, those places where we were. Ads. I was going to try to work Jump the Shark in the other one, but I forgot, and then I was too late. Yeah, it was really late. Sorry. It's okay. We had all that good Fonzie information, not from Pittsburgh after all. So what's your next first movie word? I am going to do the phrase blockbuster. That's a phrase? Word blockbuster. <laughs> 
It's one word. Yeah. Blockbuster. Sure. Blockbuster. Uh, a work of entertainment, typically a film, but also other media, that is highly popular and financially successful. A yeah. blockbuster. <laughs> a blockbuster. Doing the research, I came across something that I found interesting, which was the fact that out of Blockbuster Video's 9,000 stores that once stretched far across these lands, oh, yeah. there are still 10 left. 10, really? Ten so why stores. is there that documentary about the last one? Well, I mean, 10 stores across three states, Alaska, Texas, and Oregon, uh, I'm told, still hold some blockbusters. And I don't believe they went bankrupt from my late fees, but it's possible. Texas, Alaska, I get. Texas is a big state. I guess there's some pockets. Some holdouts that yeah. maybe owned the building that they were in, perhaps. Well, as I've told you, that was a family... Family uh, video. Family video yeah. technique. It's smart. Yeah. Um, and then Oregon, I don't get it all, I don't think. Uh, it's just a legend. I didn't dive much farther. Unless, you know, we have a lot of um, different kind of folk moved to Oregon a lot of that uh, that hippie rebellion off the gritters so uh off the gritters <laughs> that tickled me just where i was playing that out the, uh, off the gritters love blockbuster video i mean <laughs> it's right? so counterculture you 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 can you don't have to get online to watch a movie you or sign what? in you're you know right. no, you're right. let anyone know where you are you just yeah. yeah i think you have to have a credit card to get a membership card though I mean, I don't know. I mean, off the grid these days is just, you know. But anyway, <laughs> I digress deeply. Um, yeah, that wasn't, this is not related in any sense or no. way to the phrase blockbuster. No. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, a thing of enormous impact, power, or size, especially a film book or other product which has been conceived on an epic or grandiose scale or which achieves great commercial success. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems that this term uh, sort of started to appear in the American press uh, in the 1940s, and they're referring to World War II, um, talking literally about aerial bombs that were used to destroy city blocks. Uh, an article, Bellingham Herald, July, Belling, Bellingham Herald, July 27th, a headline, those big, beautiful bombs are called blockbusters. Two words. Uh, by Germans is the the head, headline. Uh, article in the article, the earliest blockbusters appear to have been the invention of the British Royal Air Force and are described at the times as weighing two tons, being about six feet in length and possessing very great destructive power. So blockbuster sort of starts to grow beyond this literal meeting, sort of within a few years of it showing up in the press. We're talking about the bombs. Uh, 1942, uh, Nation's Business, the annual report can be a blockbuster, frequently is a dud. So it took it right out of uh, war speak. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the press. Again, you know, people are reading it, so they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to enjoy the language as we do. Right. Uh, an article in the Showman's Trade Review, July uh -huh. 3rd, what's that? Why don't we describe to that? <laughs> 1943. We'll, we'll have to look for it. Uh, use the word to refer to the same thing, something other than, than an actual bomb uh, in its headline. Blockbuster hailstones cost theatermen $150 for a new roof. Theatermen is all one word, which I liked. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, but they, they sort of tie it back to a bombing of hail. That one is, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, a blockbuster hailstone. You're right, that is true. Right. Uh, the first sort of use uh, in reference to films, it uh, looks like it's in May 1943, advertisements in Variety and Motion Picture Herald. They describe the RKO film Bombardier as the blockbuster of all action thrill service shows, exclamation point. Uh, another movie, Trade Magazine, in 1944, Talks about the war documentary with the Marines at Tarawa. Hits the heart like a two-ton blockbuster. This is referring to the bomb still. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're, we're mixing it up, going back and forth. Well, it's still early 40s. It's, I mean, it really is like birth of the phrase-ish, and we're already starting to take some liberties, but we're still hesitant to go too far. Uh, I read a really good article uh, by a guy named Sheldon Hall. 
Um, it's called A Short Etymology of Blockbuster, uh, and learned that of several theories that have been put forward uh, for the origin of this term in, in this film context, um, one explanation relates to this, this sort of practice that they used to occur uh, called block booking, um, where essentially a movie studio would sell an entire package of films to a theater. You know what I mean? And they yeah. would only be able to show those films instead of the theater, which do now pick pick whatever movies you 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 want to show from whatever theater, from whatever producer, from whatever motion picture company you want. Um, but that practice was outlawed in 1948, uh, before this term really starts to gain a lot of popularity. So there are pre 1948 films that we call now blockbusters, but they weren't called blockbusters at that time. Sure, you know what I mean. No, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another explanation, which I feel like is the one you, that pops in my head anyway, was that the advertisements, these were advertisements. They weren't actual like photographs or anything, it seems like. They, they would try to advertise films by including drawings of just really long lines outside the theater, uh, around the, you know, often extending around the blocks or down several blocks. Um, but also, again, the term was never... yeah. In the actual, like, well, I mean, what are those so people many... standing around the corner? How are they busting you? Right, like, you, I mean, I get the sen- well, the sense of it's it's it, the line so long it busted through a proverbial geofence of a block. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I get you. Okay, that's I mean that's that's again, but that's going in. That was my like, oh yeah, I think I know this one. You know, that was my that was my starting place. It it didn't dawn on me to tie it into another buster. Uh, like the blockbuster i mean in in recent years with this with the sort of large scale war that we hear about mm-hmm. now i've heard of the bomb bunker buster mm-hmm. which goes down deeper right uh, to caves etc but it never dawned on me hey that sounds like blockbuster like blockbuster <laughs> yeah 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 you know you don't know no sure no none of us um but it seems like the official, we'll say it, rebranding of Blockbuster, sort of kicking it off down its path of uh, metaphoricality. Metaphoricality. Oh, uh, yeah, the latter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, article from August of 1954 in Film Bulletin, which was a magazine, trade, art, trade magazine, essentially, about motion picture industry stuff. Sure. They touched on this word and how it became tied to movies. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I saw this a lot of a lot of places. A lot of places I looked. Um, young executives of the United Artists. They uh, were working on releasing an upcoming feature. And the article quotes from exploitation-minded Vice President Youngstein came the term blockbuster to describe attractions that gross at least two million dollars in the U.S. and Canada. The Youngstein in question is Max E. Youngstein, one of the group of five partners who bought uh, United Artists from Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks Sr. were the owners of United Artists. I didn't find a date when it was sold, so I don't know specifically when that is. Yeah. Somewhere between, like, the 40s and 50s, though. (laughs) Yeah. Is where this Max E. Youngstein is said to have said, this is what we're calling a blockbuster, everybody. Get on board. Uh, It's hyphenated still. But then from there becomes kind of just a uh, really entertainment-y jargon. And then from there branches into our normal day-to-day use, which, I mean, I use the word blockbuster all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you really needed then, like we always say, get in a periodical, a well-read periodical. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, these these movie trade magazines are going to get you in the entertainment industry and then get that across the world from those, yeah. 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 Start using it. Get this to the people. Right. Well, that's a, that's a. Uh, I didn't see the bomb thing coming, but um, yeah, that's uh that's fun. Yeah, blockbuster. What? Uh, so just to re remember that we are entering into perhaps a little explicit zone here. I mean, I mean, yeah. Some I I I have to. No scaring anybody away. Just letting them know. Yeah, it's a. It could be gory. It could be a little graphic. Uh, maybe I don't know what I'm going to say. I have a lot of information. I'll, I'll tell the story. Uh, you know, if we recorded these shows three different days in a row, we'd tell a story. Yeah, sure, different, three different, different ways. One. Yep. Uh, 
just, you know, the facts that we have are the facts from our research, but, you know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, explicitcy. <laughs> uh, mine is snuff film. Snuff film. Nice. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Well, it's something. I'm intrigued. Uh, you know, what What I really found was, was uh, as we often do, you tilt the mirror slightly and realize, oh, I, I never really looked at it like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because we don't dig in. We just say things and, you know. Yeah, we keep on moving. Speaking for myself. Yeah, I um, hear you. A snuff film or snuff movie is a movie in a purported genre of movies in which a person is actually murdered or commits suicide. Yes. It may or may not be made for financial gain, but is supposedly circulated amongst a jaded few for the purpose of entertainment. Yeah. So, I mean, that is to say, uh, you know, <laughs> so, someone might want to see someone getting killed for real. Yeah. So it's partly, uh, you know, still in the in our place to say, I mean, obviously the snuff, it, it has a, an older etymology we could go into if I were just covering the word snuff we did up the snuff up the snuff mm-hmm. C- you know cutting off a piece of a uh, candle wick you know, to extinguish the flame you snuff out the flame you mm-hmm. kill the flame you you kill the life of the candle mm-hmm. the light and it actually had a life as uh, sort of a slang in england in the 19th century and we talk about this a lot too if you wonder well, if you just get an ailment mm-hmm. now that you and i can go to the doctor and get some pills and right. then we're better yeah. 1865 yeah. yeah you might die yeah and so uh, a lower class of people that couldn't get any help of any kind uh they were just snuffs and they would just die from oh, uh, okay disease or accident commonly yeah yeah so that's just a little they were okay i didn't realize that they were called referred to as snuffs a little aside on 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 some of the background of of that word as it is associated with with life and the extinguishment of said life (laughs) um some funny stuff uh charlie sheen got upset this is uh this this jumps around a little bit but this is just funny stuff he watched a film. I did not watch this one. Uh, Flower of Flesh and Blood. Okay. I don't know that one. 1985. All right. And he was convinced, so convinced that there was an actual murder in the movie. Yeah. That he contacted the FBI. <laughs> wow. And uh, He's an actor. Yeah. But the FBI, you know, they went and roused the director and all kind of stuff. And they came to the conclusion that no, it was uh, it was just acting. The actor's stuff. right here. You're talking to him. He's yeah. not dead. Let me get him on the phone. Yeah. For you. So I don't know what right. the hell. Yeah. I think the poor guy had to do all kinds of stuff. Go get films from the archives and show him the edits and all this. Oh wow! You know, if you had the regular so this stuff, is him getting up after the scenes yeah. over and walking away. All right, that was pretty good. Let's try it once yeah. more. <laughs> Start the get him the a top, fresh guys. shirt. Yeah. This time, kind of cock your head to the left and like look up, like ah, as you die. Okay, you got it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Italian director Ruggiero Diodato was charged after rumors that the depictions of the killing of the main characters in his film *Cannibal Holocaust* (1980) were real. He also said, "You people are idiots," and cleared himself with uh, showing some elements. Live people. The actual people <laughs> See, yeah, still yeah. alive. You can poke them and everything. But really, the idea of this—it it comes about in the '70s. But you steep it back a little bit, just just into the '60s, and and it can go back a lot farther. But for right now, we just think of it in these terms, which is right at the cusp of it coming into life in the underground world, and then more of a term in in common vernacular Mm -hmm. and here are some things to think about some of this is just really a psychological examination of the human condition Mm -hmm. for for a a lot of practical purposes yeah in that you fear death as a living mortal Mm -hmm. and but you're also intrigued by it you we also aren't that far 
we're we're fairly civilized now. Murder and somebody's illegal and yada yada. But in the course of time, we're not that far away from you. You killed somebody to stay alive. You killed somebody or something to eat. You killed somebody to get something to eat and take it away from them so that you don't die. Mm-hmm. Killing is um, in our recent human condition psyche. So the intrigue in the depth of our minds mm-hmm. is uh, more obvious to be alive and curious and attracted than we like to think. Yeah. And and so you could you could wave your finger about morality or about um, being civilized etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. The reality is we're animals, you know. Mm-hmm. So the 60s saw uh, a bunch of things, uh, and one of them was daily films from Vietnam of dead soldiers. Yeah. That was huh. pumped into people's living rooms. Yeah. This sort of, you know, sort of morbid fetishism. Uh, yeah. not that it, Not that it was attractive, not that you uh, anyone outwardly enjoyed it, but you watched it. Yeah, I mean, I would refer to it as pornography. Right. Of a different ilk, but yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly use that term. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah, and, and pornography is, and is comes into this. It's another, yeah. also another, same thing. Yeah. Uh, death of John F. Kennedy's shooting, like how many times you watch his, yeah. his brain's getting blown out. Yeah. Over and over, people watched that. Uh, and this is, this is 60s. Now, how much, how much we equate what, a snuff film is and what it has to do indeed with gross sexual content. You know, uh, it's just, um, there's a certain perverse and that's even a questionable word, but I'll use some of these words. There's a certain lust, bloodlust, Mm -hmm. uh, that's underlying all, all of this sort of thing. Yeah. But what, but remember eyes on the prize, we're talking about uh, a film genre that is real killings of real people and i've yet to mention actually one of them now these vietnam films etc they weren't exactly that but they loan themselves to this conversation and yeah they're in a sense right right Mm -hmm. to what it brings life to in Mm -hmm. in your mind and and makes some people's minds want to explore more and others of course want to run away from Mm mm-hmm I say that because there's a lot of talk about these snuff films and the idea of them, the existence of them, mm-hmm. w- the idea of when someone first thought one existed, who talked about it, where is it? Mm-hmm. There is a decent wealth of a particular brand of information written by this fellow, uh, Neil Jackson, uh, which I pulled a couple of uh details and and thoughts from uh, regarding a book called Shot, Cut, and Slaughtered. Uh, Although I find his writing and his viewpoint to be written like a uh, a self-righteous, overzealous thesis. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Neil. (laughs) But but he did his homework. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, hats off there for that thanks neil but also hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i just don't appreciate his standpoint but whatever yeah but one thing comes to the forefront in terms of this sort of definition that i've given you a film of a murder or suicide for Mm -hmm. profit or not blah 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 in technical terms in tangible real terms no film of this nature was ever found Mm -hmm. it's all been a lot of talk Mm -hmm. that i mean the talk loans itself to a, a, a lot of other important discussion mm-hmm. as, and, and still no uh, morality lines or, uh, or judgment mm-hmm. coming from me. So some, some of this fellow's writing uh, based on uh, an idea of definition, it is to be a visual depiction. Mm-hmm. It could be still pictures or moving images. On this visual image, someone was alive at the beginning and then dead at the end. This visual image is being put together for the sexual gratification of viewers and people uh, to look at 
this thing and get sexually aroused. Then this visual depiction is commercially distributed. Well, how can you murder somebody on a film? First of all, in the 60s, there wasn't video like we have today. I mean, there was, but you didn't have a big Mm -hmm. two-inch quad video tape machine. So yeah, you shot it on film. So you had to then develop your own film, presumably. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the Kodak guy was going to turn you to jail. Right. See, you had a quick, you know, and then how do you, how's the profit funnel back to you without the guilt funneling back to you, right? You, I don't understand how you make money, how you would make money on a film like that. Perhaps you have money and don't need to make it. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about this is the, the definitions they give. Oh, right. A commercial, a commercial release yeah. of some sort. I, I heard that. Yes. Yes. Commercial release. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. saying, come on, yeah. people. <laughs> so there's also a lot of talk about these ideas starting in the 60s and 70s that then loaned themselves to whole genres of film, which when I say some films like Last House on the Left, mm-hmm. The Hills Have Eyes, mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. They're what we call a horror film. Horror films. Horror. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We watch people die in those films. Yeah. Yeah. And and we like it. Well, we find it thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Adrenaline-y. And and it's funny because Last House on the Left, remember I was haunted from a child by uh, images of the Virgin Spring that that I saw as a kid uh, on TV. And and, um, I, I knew the scene that had haunted me and later when when chat rooms became a thing i went into a movie chat room i described the scene and all these movie bus buffs quickly told me this what is, movie i was talking about yeah. which was really a godsend to me <laughs> yeah uh, it was great but they also said oh pre-internet when things were friendly well yeah that was early and it was just open i could find yeah. this these 300 movie fans yeah. people from all over yeah anyway the virgin spring which is you know it's ingmar bergman Mm -hmm. they also said you might mean last house on the left which i also then watched later now those have sexual components Mm -hmm. there's there's also rape and um and then some of these other ones that either hint at or have overt cannibalism Mm -hmm. uh psychopath behavior psychopathic behavior etc etc Still, what we call horror, although typically now we don't. I feel like yeah, we moved away from like sexualization in slasher films, eh, not slasher films, but horror movies. Slasher films kind of have a, you know, there's a a formula, if you will, to have a a sexy component to it. But horror movies these days are more yeah psychological and less yeah. Right, and it and it was because as a child that a. a rape takes place in Virgin Spring. As a child, I didn't know what was happening, but mm-hmm. it still, I knew some, I knew it was traumatizing yeah. and it, and it had an effect on me as, as a little boy. And that's why I hunted that down and have been in therapy ever since. But yeah. so, <laughs> um, there is also, man, I, I have to say this, never, this didn't come up and, and these people, who have done due diligence on listing some movies, some of which I will read for the listeners in a bit uh, as I move along here. Mm -hmm. But there was a film that came out within the last decade or something with Michael Caine. I saw it called Harry Brown. And within the context of this story, Harry Brown, and this is an old Michael Caine. Yeah, sure. He encounters some people and goes into a situation. I won't give too much away. But in this situation, uh, he go, he's in this uh, building with with this other with these other guys, and playing on the screen is a what I would call a quintessential sexual snuff movie. Very well done, very brutal, uh, traumatizing to watch. Indeed, yeah. in and of itself, harsh and real. Yeah, and. And it's right there in a, in a modern day Michael Caine movie. Yeah. I mean, it it obviously becomes a vehicle for his vigilanteism or part of his vigilanteism. Mm-hmm. So it it helps to create 
a bad guy, but it is also so over the top that you could argue it didn't need to be that over the top, but at the same time, you can appreciate that they, this the director of it, who I then looked up, it's Daniel Barber. I don't know if they took grief for that. I imagine in some circles they did, but mm-hmm. again, I'm not judging anybody. It was just a, it was, if you, if mm-hmm. you wanted to depict that, he did it. Yeah. That's, uh, more so than in a lot of things that are listed here as examples. Yeah. But I digress. So one of one of the things that is stunning to me mm-hmm. and is that in some of these films that people actually and and like I said it I didn't go and and watch the one that got uh, Charlie Sheen all mm-hmm. uh, tied up in knots, but. <laughs> In a lot of these, I mean, come on! If you're gonna, if you really are going to kill somebody on camera, chances are you got one camera, yeah. and you don't get, and you don't get B-roll, yeah, and cutaways, multiple angles of a. So if you got two or three angles, yeah, and some editing. Mm-hmm. You know right away, it's probably fake. Mm-hmm. If there's an edit at all, okay. Sure. I don't, uh, but somehow still a lot of these films that people got all worried about and excited about chock full of edits and multi angles yeah. Yeah, yeah. like ha- having gone through that um, we see this sort of again the 60s in, and the hippie California hippie acid mm. you know a- acid trippy mm-hmm. uh, you know not, not everybody is cut out for it just dropping a lot of psychedelics sure. and, and sorting through what they're experiencing. <laughs> what you're carrying, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it would cause some people to go on with what they refer to as freakouts. Yeah. And that comes up a decent amount in some of these. So one one of the big films that that got a lot of um, attention and was and it was efforted to to track down and and research mm-hmm. and find truths about was this film called snuff (laughs) and it began that uh there were there were these rumors that these argentinian prostitutes were being murdered and and their murders were being filmed Mm -hmm. to put out as a commercial product commercial release Uh, so uh, los angeles police and a lot of people got involved in and uh tracking down and substantiating this because uh and, and this is this is one that i find completely off the charts um there was so this uh this guy lynch uh, jay lynch mm-hmm. uh he seemed to have created this piece slaughter in in south america imported it to the united states and renamed it uh snuff mm-hmm. and it caused all this uproar. And so I watched it. You can go on to a popular video <laughs> site and find at least excerpts of it, if yeah. not large pieces of the movie. And when you watch it today, it's laughable. Yeah. And you just look at it as this is a B movie yeah. horror movie. Horror this is movie. B yeah. shoot 'em up, slice 'em up movie. Mm-hmm. It's not well done and there are multiple camera angles every time someone is getting killed are you slow mowing on that come on <laughs> yeah but it was a uh, it was a big one uh, hmm. in this research they went on to discover well i mean there were some scenes shot in the, in an apartment in new york city like this is a regular low budget film we did here mm-hmm. snuff you know to do our job here so i explored a lot of pieces of that and we could we could talk for many hours about it yeah. but i mean there's this uh fellow ed sanders he wrote a book about uh charlie manson okay. in 1971 called the family okay yeah yeah and in this book he is the originator of coining the term snuff film and sanders the, the author or charlie manson the author. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And the author claims to have spoken with uh, some people 
in and on the periphery of the Manson family. Okay. And now my overzealous writer correctly points out that I mean there's there's no substantiation <laughs> Sorry. of yeah. this. Gotcha. But he claims that he spoke to someone on the periphery and that this person knew of one in particular and thought there were more, but had actually seen one of one. Manson's snuff films for certain, where I only know about one snuff movie, quoting here, describing sinister hooded figures violating a lifeless, headless corpse of an unidentifiable female victim. Wow. So this guy claims that he saw this film and Ed Sanders called it a snuff film. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, so the term comes from Ed Sanders in this book, The Family. Uh, whether or not the, the person he spoke to for yeah. his book that is uh, non-two-source documented and verified and... Neil wants us to know uh, is whether that story is real or not. Yeah. Um, we don't know, but we do know that's where the term started. And then we have a bunch of this other business about, you know, that's a, that's like another whole podcast we could do about the, you know, psychological stuff. Yeah. But short of that, there was a little dose of it about the existence or non-existence of snuff films. Snuff films, right. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I've seen the uh, Nicolas Cage one, 8mm. I mean, that, that, that's not a snuff film. It's about a snuff film? Right. Right, yeah. I've seen that one. Um, I don't know specifically other ones that I may have seen. Again, right, films I did about promise those. to read, so let me you did. read some. <laughs> you definitely said it. Uh, yeah, and, and and you've probably seen some, but I eight millimeter yeah. urban legends final cut oh, fear dot com vacancy oh fear dot com yeah that's right I've seen that and this is modern times these are just here. horror movies really yeah I mean that I would to consider us, horror right? movies right yeah mm -hmm. live feed amateur porn star killer last horror <sighs> movie bad title. Um, you know, you just break it down to its least common denominator. <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing here? This is what we're doing. There's a the title. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll do more. Right. Pulled from other research, from other, other places as well. Ideas that some of these, uh, you, you know, and you give somebody a camera. I mean, uh, A, is some, of our, some of our early photographs coming out of, France are, are naked women. Mm -hmm. They give somebody a camera, we're going to get right down to it. Yeah, I mean, come on. Um, so, th this this isn't of any great shakes. I guess Hole, Billy Wilder, 1951, uh, His Girl Friday, oh. uh, 1940. Okay. A film called A Good Film from 1907, <laughs> which I have to hunt that down. Yeah. Uh, also talk about... Um, Medium cool having uh, some beginnings there, but but Peeping Tom and the Wild Eye from 1967 yeah. came up a lot in a lot of people's conversations about the sort of man manifestation of uh, this this sexual perverted bloodlust and it it coming of age mm -hmm. onto screen as putting it all together out there and in, in, in a more direct, uh, albeit crude way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and some, some of these investigations are not so crude, but not so obvious either. Yeah. But, but yeah, there are, there are, are tons of films that might be in the discussion somewhere. Yeah, like this is a, this is technically a part of this genre if we're talking about that. Yeah. I hear you. Ah. No. I mean, like like we said, the a lot movies. of them they're yeah. they're what we call horror movies. Yeah. Uh, did the idea of the snuff film give birth to mm. a more palatable, marketable fake murder? Mm -hmm. But you know, come on, I, I'm just saying, yeah, it was going to happen anyway. Right, we had a camera. Yeah, so we do. So 
that's the film show episode. And I don't think I swore anything. There was no, we didn't. I, we said hell and whatever you said up front. I said hell. I mean, there's talk of of some you know sort of uh, uneasy subjects for a, a little bit there yeah. there, but you know. Yeah, not grossly explicit. No. Uh, so uh, message us. On Let us know about your bloodlust. What? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Whole nine yards pod <laughs> yeah. on the things. Twitter, Reddit, and Instagram. And whole nine yards podcast on Facebook. And we'll be there for you, like your friends. Like that one song. Yeah. And that's wonderful. I'm Jay. And I'm Ray. And we're, we're not, not idioms. idioms. Whole Nine Yards is written, recorded, and produced by Big Science Pods. Learn more at whole9yards.org or contact Whole Nine Yards by emailing heyyou at whole9yards.org. That's heyyou at whole9yards.org. Whole Nine Yards theme music was composed by Big Science Music.